Welcome to the Mixed Movement, where we speak candidly about the uncommon commonalities that people of mixed race face in our world today. Here, we listen, share, learn, and acknowledge that through our stories, we are all connected. We are your hosts, Nate, Chris, and Rachel Go. Welcome to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's show. I am so excited. I have the honor of interviewing my very good friend, Jamie Kincaid. She is a photographer. She owns JK Photos. She specializes in women's empowerment photography. And Jamie, do you care to share a little bit about your retreat that you're hosting? Yes. So I've already hosted a few women's retreats in the last couple of years. I started in 2020. And they are basically a retreat and a, like a full day for women to learn about self-care, learn about self-love. I've created this like community over competition because so many times women are competing with one another and it's hard to make friends as an adult. <laughs> so, so a lot of us just have our childhood friends that we stick close to. And then as you grow, you kind of grow outgrow them or you need to move on to new friendships. And that's really hard. So I created this community for women to meet other women, to learn about self-care and to start a journey towards self-love. So I bring in like life coaches and authors that help with journaling exercises and we do yoga and we have catered meals and it's just like a day for them to kind of get in touch with their inner selves and their heart work. And they leave feeling more empowered and refreshed and ready to take on their dreams and all of that. So the other retreat is more focused on um, witchiness and magic and bringing in experts in those fields to help women who want to get into that realm and aren't sure where to start kind of have a starting place, I guess you would say. And so we're going to learn about tarot we're going to learn about spell jars we're going to learn about crystals like it's just going to be a really fun afternoon right I think it's going to be a full day retreat I just started planning that one so like very basic oh man (laughs) honestly this is what I absolutely adore about you is your you have such a big heart your mission to inclusion is just it's needed you're needed and you're doing it and I'm so proud of you and I just Thank you. you. You're welcome. Thank you for being. You're gonna don't make me cry on your podcast. <laughs> Was that not in the disclaimer for you? <laughs> I cry every episode. I miss that one. <laughs> so, Jamie, you are half white and half Mexican, correct? Yeah. And it's funny mm-hmm. because that, like, we've known each other for several years, and I didn't. Not that we've ever really talked about it or that it's ever come up, but I didn't realize that until what, a year ago, maybe. Right. I mean, we're all just people, but it's just, it's so exciting to have you on. And I really want to hear more about your, your life and your experience and some of the things that you faced. Yeah. So let's start at the beginning. So when was your first, I guess, encounter with, I call it when the world happens to you. That's a good way to put it. Seriously. (laughs) (laughs) What was the biggest moment that stands out where you really didn't know that you are mixed? 
so my mom is is Mexican and my father is white. And my mom became a single mother when I was only 18 months old. And so she had to figure her life out and do it with two children (laughs) under her care. And so she decided to go into school and become a teacher. So she took my sister and I along with her and we moved to Pullman and she put herself through school. I was three maybe when we moved there and we lived there until I was eight, almost eight years old. And it's a college town. So I don't know if anybody listening, it's Washington State University is in this town called Pullman in Washington. And it is basically a melting pot of a ton of different types of cultures, a ton of it's a it's a college town. So like, we lived in a like an off campus apartment for families that were students. And we had friends that were like, Muslim, we had friends that were black, we had friends that were Mexican, we had friends that were white, and like it never was an issue, I guess you would say. It was never a problem. It was never like brought up in conversation. We were all just friends and we all just like all of our families would get together for parties and for, you know, dinners and stuff. And it was just like this nice little community. And then we moved here to the Tri Cities where I grew up. And we lived in an affluent neighborhood. My mom wanted to set us up for living in the suburbs. And she got a teaching job and she was doing her thing. And we started going to a school that was, I mean, majority white kids. How old were you when you moved from Pullman to the Tri-Cities? I was eight. I think I was going into the second grade, I want to say. And I was playing with my friends on the playground. And the next day I made new friends and I was playing with them. And to me, they were just like different groups of, of friends. And one of my white friends came up to me after recess one day and was like, why are you playing with those Mexican kids? And I was like, what are you talking about? And she, I mean, I was eight years old, right? Right. I had no idea what the hell she was talking about. And I mean, we would go to my grandma's house and she was like hardcore, like Catholic Mexican woman with like the altar to the Virgin Mary in her bedroom and like (laughs) homemade tortillas every day. You know, like she listened to cumbia music like that's that's the culture that I grew up in. But then also like we lived in suburbs and we had all these white friends and like I never really considered that it was a different thing. And so this girl asked me why I was hanging out with the Mexican kids. And I told her they were just my friends and I didn't know what she meant by Mexican. And she was like, they're gross and they smell bad. And I was like, I thought they smelled fine. (laughs) So I had to go home and ask my mom, like, what did she mean? Do we smell bad? Aren't we Mexican? Like, do I need to like reconsider things? You know, like it was just a really like eye-opening experience for me. And then after that, going through school, like it was very hard for me to fit into any one group just because like it was either the white kids or the brown kids. Like you didn't get a group that was both. And and now as an adult, like I have so many friends that are brown, white, like black, like I have, you know, I have friends of all races and cultures and religions and everything. But back then, like, I didn't understand how to navigate that. Feel like, defined you 
at an early age or did it make you confused or aware? Like how, how did that shift your perspective? So I'm kind of a rebel. I've always been a rebel since I'm pretty sure like the moment I was born, I was born a rebel and I rebelled against that thought process, I guess. I was like, there's no way that I have to be in a certain group because this person said so. So I went all through school hanging out with like the misfits and the new kids and the kids that didn't quite fit in somewhere. Like all of my friends are freaks and that's great. And I love them. And those are my people, like the ones that don't fit in because I never felt like I fit in in one group or another. And so that's just kind of how how I wound up living my life, I guess. I relate to that completely. Feeling like you don't fit in, so why try and find the beauty in being different? Right. Do you feel like that ever made it challenging for you to be okay with yourself, always trying to seek out? Yeah. So like I said, I've always rebelled against things. And so I kind of rebelled against the notion that I needed to choose or that I needed to fit in anywhere, even though like we all want to fit in, right? Like that's our human nature. We all want our people. We want to be able to say, these are my people and I fit in with them. And that just wound up being the misfits for me because I felt like a misfit. And so it was really hard for me to kind of reconcile like the term whitewashed, right? So like I was whitewashed because I didn't speak Spanish. I've never heard that term before. You've never heard that? Okay. I don't know if it's like a Mexican thing. (laughs) And I never dated Mexican boys. I just, I really like white boys. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, it was really hard for me to define who I was until I was an adult and I was able to step into that culture and be like, I'm Mexican. And that's okay. Like, I'm, that's not a bad thing. It's just a piece of who I am. And I was raised in that culture. And I practice a lot of those cultural norms and this, you know, celebrations and stuff. But it's also the Mexican culture is it's a matriarchal culture, but it's also very misogynist in the same respect, where like my mom growing up, her dad was from Mexico, he was a Mexican immigrant. And he died when she was five years old. But she was the youngest of 10 children. And so all of her siblings who were raised by their dad were very like the women made the plates for the men and the women made themselves smaller so that the men could be the man of the house. And that's just how the culture is. And it's all often it's it's a stereotype is that Mexican men are mama's boys. And that's, I mean, it's a stereotype because there's some truth in it. The boys are very coddled. The boys are very, like, allowed to explore whatever they want to explore. They'll bail them out of jail for getting in a fight at a bar. But if a girl got arrested for something, they need to learn their lesson. Like, it's a it's a very, girls and boys are treated very differently. And that's one thing that my mom tried really hard not to do. She wanted to break that cycle because she saw it growing up. And how it affected her and how it affected her siblings. And so she treated my sister and me like just regular people. Like we didn't have norms that we had to follow because we were girls. Like 
there was still a little bit of that, but now like with our daughter, my husband and I, you know, buy her tools and she can do the boy things and like the boy colors and the boy, you know, whatever that society deems girls versus boys. And so each generation, I think we've kind of like broken that stigma in my family. But um, there's a lot of families that it's still pretty prevalent. Do you feel like in your family, your extended family, that those traits, those behaviors, those what you're teaching her, that there is no gender, that just because she's a girl doesn't mean that she can't build things and play with trucks? Do you, do you feel or have you encountered that in your extended family as being a negative? To be really honest, I don't speak with a lot of my extended family. That's a conversation for another day. But the ones that I am still in contact with, they're very supportive of the way that we raise Harmony. In recent years, I have removed some people from my life that were not positive in my life. For you. That is so insanely important. And sometimes it's really difficult to do. Yeah, I have been very deliberate about who I allow into our energy. So my daughter is not going to be surrounded by people that are going to treat her like she's just a little girl that doesn't know what she's talking about. Like they're the people in our lives treat her with the same respect that they would treat another adult that they're speaking to, because that's what children deserve. Like they're not going to act like adults someday if you never treat them like adults. And right. <laughs> so we have always like from infancy, we have spoken to her like she's a human, not like she's a dog. And <laughs> And so she has full, she's 10 years old. She has full conversations with adults and doesn't get bored, you know, because right. she's amazing. because we're raising her to be a member of society. And that's part of it is that the, you can't raise a full functioning member of society by teaching them that girls have to be one way and boys have to be another way. Like boys can be vulnerable and girls can be strong. And those things don't have to be one or the other separate. Yeah. You can be both and all girls should be allowed to explore whatever they want to explore and have the same opportunities and abilities as boys. And so in certain cultures, like, like a Mexican culture, that's not as easily accepted. And so that's something that I've had to navigate too. But like I said, in recent years, we've removed people from our lives who, who aren't on board with the way we want to live our lives. So like, it's one thing to not approve of the way somebody lives their life, but it's totally something different to constantly be judging and making your judgments known. And I don't need that. In my life. Nobody does. Nobody does. Well, honestly, thank you for sharing all of that. I know that is, that's personal. And I really appreciate you, you explaining things and clarifying things. Um, so. Can you, do you mind sharing a little bit more about, you had mentioned in your adult life, you have been faced with certain situations. Is there anything that comes to mind? Yeah. So like right out of high school, I got a job working for this, a local school district and I worked in several different schools, but one of the schools that I worked at, I was there for almost five years and it was a predominantly Hispanic demographic. And so there were um, people who had immigrated here from different countries. There were people that grew up here in the Tri-Cities, but a lot, most of them 
I mean, I would say like 80% of the population was Spanish speaking parents. A lot of them spoke English and could communicate in English, but chose to speak Spanish because it's their native tongue and that's what they were comfortable with. So they would come into the office where I worked and I would, you know, approach them because I was the person that was available to help them. And they would say in perfect English, do you speak Spanish? And I would say, no, I'm sorry, I don't. And a lot of these moms would literally avert their eyes and just no longer acknowledge the fact that I was a human being standing in front of them. It wasn't even like, can I get somebody that speaks Spanish and more comfortable with that or whatever. It was, you no longer exist to me. <laughs> and it was the first time it happened. I was like, but can I, can I help you with anything? Like, cause clearly they can speak English. Some of them, some of them could not. And those, the people that couldn't, that only spoke Spanish typically were like, I need somebody else. You know what I mean? Like they would try to communicate, but there were a lot of parents that would come in and they would just flat out refuse to even try to speak with me or to ask for somebody else or to acknowledge my existence in any way. And after working there for a while, we figured out that me and my coworkers figured out that it was because I look Mexican, but I don't speak Spanish. And it's seen as a slight to the culture that I never learned my native tongue, quote unquote. Interesting. How did that make you feel, honestly? You know, the first year that I was there, it really bought, I mean, I was like 20 years old and it really bothered me and I would get really annoyed and I would leave work just feeling pissed off about it. And, and then after a while, I was like, you know what? These people don't know me and they don't care to know me. And I just need to do my job and move on with my life. Like, there's no reason for me to get upset over it. There's no reason for me to let myself dwell on it. It's just making me upset. So I would just, you know, I worked there for five years. A lot of families have kids that come through and then they have their next, the sibling that comes through and then they have that, the next sibling. So a lot of the families I got to know and the ones who didn't want to acknowledge me, I guess you would say, I would just not even help them when they came. I would, I would look to my coworkers who all spoke Spanish. I was the only non-Spanish speaking person in the office. And there was, I think, five of us. And I would look to one of them and say, can you help them? Or, you know, whatever. And so I just learned to help the people I could and just not help the people that wouldn't take my help. So but it was it was rough for a while because like it, it kind of like messes with your identity. Like, yeah, I'm still Mexican. I still grew up in this culture, but I never caught on to the language. I took Spanish in high school. My grandma spoke Spanish like she also spoke English, but she spoke a lot of Spanish and I just never learned it. I could never grasp it. And I don't feel like that's a fault of mine. I just feel like it's just not a skill that I have. Right, right. <laughs> so. Was there a intention or a purpose that why your mom didn't encourage that? Um, like I said, my grandfather died when my mom was five years old. And before he died, nobody was allowed to speak English in their house. He didn't allow it. So everybody had to speak Spanish. After he died, they were allowed to speak English in the house. And so my mom grew up after five years old speaking English. So she 
can speak Spanish fluently, but she's not comfortable in it because it's not, I mean, it is her first language, but English was very predominant in her childhood. And now it's the only language that she really speaks. So she can, she's also a teacher and she can communicate with her Spanish speaking parents fine. But a lot of times, like, she's just not comfortable speaking Spanish because she didn't grow up speaking it fluently in the household. So um, she just never taught it to us. And like, we, we know some words, like I didn't know the word for hand towel in English until I was like 12 years old. <laughs> like there's words that we use that I don't, I don't even think about it. Right. And so like a hand towel is like a thwaya or thwaita is what you would say. And I was with like a friend at their house and I was like, I spilled or something. And I was like, can I get a thwaya? And they were like, what? <laughs> I was like, this. It's like a towel, but little. <laughs> a little, a tiny towel, please. There's a spill. <laughs> yeah. And so like, there's things like that. And so I've tried a few times, like I've downloaded apps and I've tried to learn and I can speak some like teeny, un poquito. <laughs> but I'm definitely not like conversationally prepared for the, anything like that. But have you ever seen the movie Selena? Okay, so it's about Selena, who was a, a singer. And she started out as a like a Spanish singer, but she didn't speak Spanish. So her childhood, she grew up speaking English. And then when she got into singing, she would sing like, like Mexican songs. And she toured in Mexico and it, the, the movie goes through it all, but like she toured in Mexico and didn't know like conversational Spanish. And so when they would do like their press conferences and stuff, like she either had to have a translator, like had to figure it out. And people got really upset that she didn't actually speak Spanish because she was singing Spanish music. And so wow, there's a scene in that movie where they're driving in a car and the dad's like, you have to be more Mexican than the Mexicans. And you have to be a more American than the Americans. It's exhausting. <laughs> it's just like you're like yeah. And and that that whole movie I just absolutely love. But that scene, like I think about it constantly. Like whenever somebody makes a comment or like asks why I don't speak Spanish or whatever, that's what goes through my mind. Is so. yeah, that's pretty profound. This is really interesting because going back to somebody walking up to you asking if you speak Spanish and then saying no and then getting offended. I know I've been asked if I speak Spanish, my brother also, I'm pretty sure my sister, but a lot, a lot of us half black, half white individuals get mistaken for being Mexican. And I've had the same reaction. It's like, they get mad at me. I had one person ages ago um, I was working at a really large trade show for in the restaurant industry in Chicago forever ago. And he walked up to me and started speaking Spanish. I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't speak Spanish. And he was like, what? Look at where you are right now. And you don't speak Spanish? I'm like, I'm in Chicago, Illinois, and I'm white. <laughs> somebody got mad. So I can, I can completely relate to that. It's so like, yeah. I get angry. It's so strange to me. I don't, I've never understood it. I've never understood it because to me, I don't subscribe to the belief that like, we're just all humans because yes, we are, but like 
our culture and how we were raised defines who we are. And so somebody who grew up in like a wealthy white family with like a trust fund and stuff, they're going to have a very different lived experience than somebody like me who grew up in like a second generation household in the suburbs, but like barely getting by, right? Like we, we had the picture of success, but like, I couldn't go on the trips with school classmates and I couldn't go shopping in these like extravagant things or like rent a limo for prom or whatever, because we didn't have like a lot of money. And I mean, my mom's a teacher. (laughs) And so like the money went to groceries and it went to like basic supplies. And it went like, I never knew that she struggled financially until I was an adult because I thought every, like, I thought we had everything and I thought she was just overprotective and that's why I couldn't do all the things, (laughs) but really it was because we couldn't afford it. And so the lived experience is just different than somebody who grew up with all of the opportunities that presenting as a white person affords you because there are different opportunities. And I know that there are a lot of people who are mixed race or who are like a person of color that that will say I had the same opportunities as the white kids or whatever and and that may very well be but it's not like the norm it's an exception to the rule it's not the rule itself and so like I've watched people follow my dark-skinned friends around stores I've watched people I was pulled over by a police officer in the city of Richland and I will call them out because they're awful (laughs) when I was 18 years old and I had just gotten off of work at Baskin Robbins and it was summer so I was dark because I tan I do not burn I get dark in the summertime and like right now I look really white but um I can't get myself in the camera but I used to spend all day when I wasn't at work in the sun and so I would get really dark and I got pulled over and I because I had crossed a solid line trying to get into the lane to get onto the highway to go home from work because I couldn't get over before that. And so like right after the light, it was a solid line and I crossed over to like get on my exit and there was literally nobody else on the road. There was like one car in the lane next to me. And so I was like, okay, I'll just get over after the light. I'm not going to try and like race them to the light or whatever. And so I got over, he pulled me over right before the highway and he said, do you even have insurance? And he said it in a way that was very accusatory and very, it just felt icky to me. And I just started crying. And I was like, of course I have insurance. I just, it's dark and I'm trying to find my insurance card. And this isn't my car, it's my mom's car. And (laughs) oh my God. And you know, I've had white friends who got pulled over in that city who did not have that experience. Right. And so I don't know if it was because I was a brown girl at 1130 at night driving on an empty road, or if it was just that guy was a jerk and he just wanted to treat a teenager like shit that day. I don't know. But to me, it felt like it was because I was a different race than him. And that's honestly, that's the reputation that that city's police have anyway. So. I'm not really surprised now, but, but back then I was like, I don't know what I did. Sorry, I'm just trying to get home. Yeah. I'm just really tired and I smell like waffle cones. (laughs) I have insurance. I'm sorry. Oh my God. That's 
yeah. So it's just like little things like that just throughout my life have kind of like reminded me. It's like a reminder. Right. Like, especially like I said here in the Tri-Cities, it's like you fit in or you don't fit in. And it's like a reminder that you don't belong here is what it feels like. You are not alone. I know that there are a lot of people of mixed race who don't. I mean, I'm one of them, <laughs> but it's, but it's not, you're not alone and it's hard, but you had mentioned, and this is one thing that I really would like to learn a little bit more about you is your work experience that you shared and the judgment that you were faced. And you said, they don't know me or they don't care to know me. I'm just here to work. That was very intuitive at a very young age. How did you do that? Because I know it's really, really challenging to acknowledge that, but then to actually do it. How how did you do that? How did you just put up those boundaries and just, did you learn to let it go? Or do you feel like I'm to them? So I have struggled with depression and anxiety since a, from a very young age. I think I was 13 when it started. So I had to become emotionally intelligent very quickly because I didn't have a lot of support in like the mental health. It was still very like a stigma when I was growing up. Like you, you're fine. You just need sunshine or you're fine. You just need to eat a good meal. You're fine. You just need to go play with your right. friends. Like there wasn't an understanding. And so I had to go through like the emotional stuff that people usually go through in like college. I had to go through that in like high school, probably earlier than that, because I had to figure out how to make these feelings that I was feeling not affect me in a way that was going to damage my life. And so I got out of high school and I was immediately like, I would say I had a leg up on a lot of my peers because they were just starting to go through those emotional traumas and those figuring their who they are out and all of that. I did that a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> so so when I entered the workforce in like a professional setting, I was ready to like be an adult. And part of being an emotionally intelligent adult there is knowing go. that the way that other people perceive you is not your fault and it's not your problem. And so if you have a problem with me, you have a problem with me. It's not my problem to solve. I'm not here to make your life easier. I'm not here to make myself smaller so that you can feel bigger. Like that's, that's not who I am and I'm not going to do it. So I, and I've been like that since, since I was young, since I was a teenager. And so I think that really helped me in that instance to just say, you know what? I can't do anything about it. It's their problem. I'm not I'm not going to learn Spanish because I've tried and it didn't work. So th that's their only problem with me. Right. <laughs> and and I can't fix it. So it's their problem to work through, not mine. So that's I mean and that's just really how I've approached a lot of things. So one of the symptoms of anxiety is overthinking and like always constantly worrying what other people think about you. So that's how I've had to combat that symptom <laughs> because like after this conversation, I'm going to turn off my computer and stuff and I'm going to be thinking about it the rest of the day and like what I should have said and what I shouldn't have said. And <laughs> You're doing great, Jamie. 
<laughs> but like, I just know, like my anxiety causes that, right? Like my brain doesn't want me to be successful. <laughs> if your inner person stay in the safe place all the time, that's what, that's what's happening. Don't go outside of our comfort zone. It's scary out there. But you, but you do it and you do it beautifully. And knowing that you I essentially had to at a young age, really, I mean, I can see it now and it, it makes sense. And it's something to wear proudly. It's work and it's not easy work, but good for you. I mean, I know that's something that will help a lot of people is just acknowledging what you can and cannot control, but also not taking the things that you cannot control and like letting it eat you up because that's really challenging. I mean, even as adults, I, I, up until several years ago, I, I didn't understand that concept, but especially when it comes to something as deeply personal as race, because that's not something you can change. It's not something that you've asked for. And it's not something that feels totally comfortable all of the time being biracial. It's like having to fight for your place, but then to, you know, have that judgment on top of it. But the way you've handled it is really impressive. Good job. Oh, thank you. And it's, it hasn't always been impressive. Like there were days where I was a total bitch to people because I was like, you know what? You're not going to walk all over me and you're not going to treat me that way. <laughs> As it fucking should be, honestly. And, you know, and like, yeah, I'm, I'm emotionally intelligent. It doesn't mean I'm mature. <laughs> <laughs> you're the difference. So I would get pretty petty some days. And then other days I was like, I'm not even going to deal with it today. I'm going to keep my head down and I'm going to do my job. And I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to help the people I can help. And and I'm going to let the rest of the people figure their own shit out because it's not on me. I think that's completely fair. And I have had conversations with people like, how do you navigate those questions? Or how do you, you know, what's your go-to comeback or but I think you're right. It depends on the day. It depends on your mood. And it depends on the way that you're asked. And it depends on the person that you're speaking to, honestly. Yeah. Like, I've had friends ask about race and, like, how, like, like our conversation that we're having right now. Like, I've had friends like you reach out and, like, ask about these things. Or, like, even just in conversation, it comes up. And I'm happy to talk about it. But if a stranger on the street, oh, I had a coworker once. <laughs> at a different job who came up to me and I was wearing contacts that day and I usually wear glasses and I just for context I'm gonna take my glasses off and I know the podcasters can't see me but you can so I was like this and he came up to me and he said I don't want you to take offense to this but has anybody ever told you that you look like Jasmine without your glasses and I was like what (laughs) why would you be offended and you you have beautiful eyes. I've photographed you. I've edited you. your face and you're gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But it was just like, it was a weird comment to make because first of all, Jasmine is like Arabian. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> I look nothing like her. <laughs> and second of all, Jasmine is gorgeous. So why would I be offended by that? that yeah. And third of all, was it appropriate for A, the workplace or B, for like a white dude to come up to me and say that? No, no, it was not. So, so much I'm going to take offense because you need to stay in your lane, bro. <laughs> Do you remember how you responded to that? I was like, thank you. 
say it was like a question. <laughs> I mean, really, why would you be offended? I don't know. It's just like a weird thing to say, right? Like, was it because I'm brown and I have big eyes? I don't know. Jasmine didn't have freckles, I can tell you that. <laughs> I've got a picture of her right here that my daughter painted, and she does not have freckles. Why do you have such an accessible picture of Jasmine? <laughs> I mean, clearly that story is stuck with you. It's right before the workplace. My daughter painted it, and I have like all of, I have like a bunch of her paintings here, and and I just like I trade them out on my desk, so they're all like stacked in front of each other. <laughs> There's Jasmine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's it's true. It depends on the context. I feel like sometimes there's intention behind the questions, and it's it's good like I want to learn I'm curious I don't want to offend but then there's also judgment and you sometimes you can feel the racism just just waiting to just pounce on you and that's the biggest difference and honestly like growing my business I've had done a lot of like networking stuff And a lot of the networking groups here in the Tri-Cities is like white people, like all white people. And I'm going to be honest, I don't feel comfortable in a group of all white people. I just don't. Like if it's my friends and it's just all my white friends, that's that's one thing. But like a group of white strangers, I don't feel like I I fit in with them. And I feel like also the fact that I have blue hair and that I have darker skin and that I just look different than all of them. There's a lot of blonde happening in these networking (laughs) meetings. And I just, I don't feel like we can relate to one another the same way that I could relate to somebody who was mixed race, no matter the race, or somebody who comes from the black culture or the Mexican culture or something like that. I just feel like it's a different perspective. Do you feel like that's different in the business realm? I don't, I don't know. Putting these retreats together that I've been doing, I wanted to make sure that I had a group of presenters that was racially diverse. I know a lot of white people that do the things that I want at the retreats, but I was like, I specifically want anybody to look at this lineup and see somebody that they can relate to. You are amazing. I had no idea. I mean, honestly, I had no idea that that was your intention when putting it together. Yeah. And I don't know if you've been following it. So like Becky Benson was the only white woman, like all white woman who was a speaker at my very first retreat. And that's because she's one of the most amazing humans I've ever met. And she also used to run retreats. So she was kind of like my mentor during my first planning. And She's an author and she is a mother of loss. And so she writes on loss and she journals about grief and all of that with my retreat attendees. And so she's an amazing, like I said, an amazing human. But then I have Chastity, who's a yoga instructor and mindfulness coach, and she is Mexican. And then I have Rika, who is a life coach and she's black. And then I have this last retreat, I brought in a couple more people and I brought in a counselor who's like half white, half Asian. Like I just had a whole mix. I didn't want just like a group of white women and me to be standing in front of these people 
because I feel like that that's not going to make everybody feel as welcome. I feel like if somebody sees somebody that they feel like they can relate to or somebody that like representation matters, like we're hearing that a lot because it's true. And so like when you look at a lineup of a conference that you're going to, if all of the people look like somebody that you couldn't relate to, you're, you're less inclined to right. go. Right. You're not going to want to go and hear about all these rich white dudes and how they are successful because they did this, this, and this. When you know that they got their money from a trust fund. <laughs> their experiences were different. Yes, right. it's different. And so that was my intention with the retreats is I wanted a racially diverse group of presenters and I wanted to only work with women for everything. I didn't want a single man involved in these retreats. And <laughs> there's nothing wrong with men. I'm married to a man and he's amazing and wonderful and just, he's amazing. He's my best friend. And so he, he and he understands it. Like the patriarchy is damaging to both men and women. So he, he's very supportive of it. He's a, he's a man who's a feminist and I love that about him. So. But like these retreats, like I want women to be able to feel vulnerable. I want them to be able to feel like their best selves. I want them to put their heart into the work that we're doing. And they're not going to be able to do that if there's a bunch of men sprinkled in. It's just not the same dynamic. Absolutely. And so like even my sponsors, my vendors, everybody is women owned, except for when I have to pick up last minute things from Target. <laughs> That's in the, in the event of an emergency. Yeah, a little bit different. <laughs> One big question that I have for you is, have you tried to get in touch with your father's side of the family? No. Well, that's not true. I do stay in touch with one of my aunts. I'm actually closer to her than anybody else in, in that side of the family. And then he had several daughters with his second wife, and I am actually friends with one of them. So my sister is very close with that side of the family and that's her journey. And that's fantastic. I choose not to be for my own personal reasons. So yeah, I grew up, I mean, I still am close with my mom's family predominantly right. in my life. Those are the family members that I have in my life. So how, how old were you when you came into contact with your father's side of the family? They never left my life. Okay. So my father... And my mom divorced when I was about 18 months old, and he almost immediately remarried. We had visitation with him. We, you know, when he showed up, we were there hanging out with him, whatever. And then he started to have kids with this new wife, and the dynamic of the family kind of changed. And I felt like it wasn't the place for me anymore. I'm trying not to say too much because I don't want anybody listening to be offended. And I know certain people may listen that would get offended. And I'm sorry to this whoever's is listening that is. But story. this is my story. And if and if people wanted me to speak better of them, they would have treated me better. <laughs> I love you. So, so he made a lot of choices in his life that I can't get on board with. So one of those choices being when my stepfather came into my life, he became my dad. He is a pain in the ass and he's infuriating and he's very conservative, which I'm clearly not, but he was my dad. He raised me with my mom. I mean, I was, I don't know, four years old when they okay. started dating and then they got married when I was eight, when we moved here to the Tri-Cities. So they dated for several years before they got married. 
but he's been the main like male influence in my life since I was a kid. So I changed my last name to his last name. Um, he couldn't legally adopt me because my father wouldn't relinquish his parental rights. So I changed my name. And when that happened, I was about 16, I want to say, um, when that happened, my father's family had a real problem with that. So that's when I started distancing myself more and stopped doing visitations and holidays and that type of thing. And, you know, again, my journey, my life, my story. But yeah, my stepfather's also white. So it, I, the only like really, I had an uncle who I was very close with growing up and he's my mom's brother. So he's Mexican. But other than that, like all of the male influence in my life have been white men, which may be why I only dated white boys. But <laughs> they did. <laughs> yeah, not anymore. I mean, I still date my husband and he's also white, but <laughs> I'm a little curious about it drives me crazy. You don't have to identify with one race, but you do have a very clear, defined stance on your Mexican heritage and and I don't know it's funny to me because when I first saw you and met you I guess I didn't really know what you were nor did I care right but that makes sense a little bit more about why you feel the way that you do and why you I guess I mean I hate to say lean to one side or another but you were raised predominantly in around white people in white neighborhoods white schools so thank you for sharing that thank you for letting me share all that absolutely (laughs) I do have one final question for you what is the one thing that you would like to leave behind what is your legacy that you want how do you want to impact the world that's not just one last thing that's like a heavy hitter (laughs) (laughs) Um, I honestly, I just want my life's work that I'm working toward right now to help as many women as I possibly can just step into their power and live their best lives and not like living my best life on Instagram. Like I want their actual life, like their real non-Instagrammable life to be their best life. and. I think it's really important to distinguish those two things from each other. Somebody could be posting all about how hashtag live my best life on Instagram, but in reality, they're miserable. And I want, I want the women that step in front of my camera. I want the women that attend my retreats. I want all of those women to just be able to feel loved and empowered and love their body no matter what. Because our bodies carry us through our entire lives. Like there's a reason that we have the wrinkles and the lines and the blemishes and all of that. Like our body, we're hard on our bodies. And a lot of women just see all of the faults and they don't like it and they're angry at it. I see my faults and I'm like, these lines on my side gave me a child. This scar on my belly was trauma that brought her into this world. Like, you know, like these these thick thighs get me out through my walks in the morning with my crazy dog. Like it's 
I want women to look at themselves and see beauty no matter what. And so that's what I want to leave behind. I don't want to change the world. I want to change individual lives so that they can go on and change the world. And I don't know if that's cheesy, but <laughs> I'm like so many goosebumps. I simply adore you and your mission. Oh, thank you. And that is so insanely important truthfully, to impact individuals so that they can help. It's like you're just starting a wildfire. That's fine. I hope so. I mean, not a literal wildfire. I hope I don't start any of those. No, but but, I mean, you know what I mean. (laughs) Yeah. And I also like, like part of our legacies are our children, right? Like I want to raise my daughter to be like this badass, like conqueror, you know, like I want her to be a warrior and I want her to go out into the world and just like, spread her love and spread her message, whatever it might be. And I think we're accomplishing that because she's such a, she's such a cool kid. She's such a badass and she's so much fun and she's so opinionated, which I love. Everybody's like, Oh, see, it's coming back to you. And I'm like, no, I love this. Like, I love that she has strong opinions. Absolutely. Your mission is being Mm -hmm. accomplished. Good job. Exactly. Yeah. She's going to be a sassy little world changer and just know sassy. it <laughs> she totally is and I love it all right Amy, well thank you so much for all that you've shared for your time and your heart and all that you are I really appreciate you so very much Aww. I appreciate you thank you Rachel this was great We hope you enjoyed today's episode. We want to be here for you, and we can't do what we're doing without your support. Please hit subscribe, and to stay up to date, head on over to mixmovement.com. That's M-I-X-D-M-O-V-E-M-E-N-T.com to stay up to date with news and more. We are The Mixed Movement. See you next time.